Welcome to another episode of that 60s recording podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. I hope you've all had a wonderful week. Uh, I've got a really cool episode up for you this week. The conversation is with Nathan Hawes, who goes by the name of Kesmar. He's an Australian artist that we linked up on Instagram, actually. I think Nathan followed me and... I was curious, so I sent him a message and thought, what's this guy about? And then I listened to his music on Spotify, and I was completely blown away. I just heard it, and instantly it just sounded, you know, I just wanted to listen to all of it. And it was um, it was brilliant. So I sent him a message, and we, we started uh, chatting a little bit, and it turns out that he recorded a lot of this album analogue, you know, pretty much all of it analogue, um, and obviously that was just a recipe for you know great music it seems like a really nice chap so i'm going to speak to him for the podcast <laughs> um and it turns out he's got a really interesting history in the music industry he's got such an amazing approach to making music and learning and everything that epitomizes what this podcast is about he he represents so i'm really really privileged to have had him on um so his and coincidentally actually his new album called always chasing rainbows is out on May the 12th, which is the day after this goes live. So go to Spotify and pre-save that if that's what you do, or I'm sure you can buy a copy of it um, if that's what you do, if that's what I do, so that's what I will be doing. Um, the artwork I'm looking at right now is, is pretty amazing. It's the first record that he's done that he's actually self-produced, and he recorded a lot of the instrumentation himself too. Um, and he did it all to what turns out to be a 16-track machine, but he limited himself to eight tracks, and you'll find out all about that in the podcast. Really excited to share this one with you. Yeah, go and check out all of his stuff, and go and listen to this uh, to the record when, when you're listening to this, so May the 12th, um, called Always Chasing Rainbows, and go and listen to his other stuff too. Um, everything about the sort of the way it all looks and everything is really cool and I think if you're into this podcast you'll probably be into the music too so yeah go and check that out and enjoy this conversation with Nathan Hawes are you ready for my attempt at an advert here it comes Make Noise Pro Audio are specialists in used pro audio equipment and since 2015 they've been on an endless quest to supply all things modern, old, vintage and obscure. Everything from outboard, microphones, synthesizers, audio interfaces, drum machines, mixing consoles, studio monitors, amplifiers, cabling, furniture and everything in between. Go and check them out at makenoiseproaudio.co.uk. Sam's a lovely chap, definitely go and do it. Enjoy the episode! Talk me through the new records. You know mm-hmm. what, what um, describe not describe it necessarily musically, but talk just if you could sort of just discuss it from your perspective, what it's about, what's the inspiration behind it, mm-hmm. what, how's it come about, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so the new record is um, it's kind of like my first time, I guess, like properly um, going into like doing everything um, myself which I'd done previously um, with a good friend of mine from Melbourne. His name is Tobias and he's like just yogi teacher kind of guy. I think everyone has one of those or everyone 
knows when they have one because they just feel so blessed to have someone that can just show them kind of all the ins and outs so quickly um but yeah so i did a lot of previous music with him for this project and then it kind of came to COVID, and i was like meant to start this record with him but then we were kind of like separated so i was kind of just like i'll just like i already kind of had like a setup and like i kind of somewhat knew what i was doing but still to do a whole record front to back um by myself was kind of a big challenge but um yeah it kind of came out of necessity and then it just went into a rabbit hole of just buying buying a whole lot of gear and continuing to keep going on the studio um but yeah the inspiration just came from just wanting to make um wanting to make records really i've always loved like yeah i guess the golden age of recording of yeah like 50s (laughs) 60s and um 70s and towards like the later end of the 70s um so yeah i've always just loved that music and all the artists that i love are are record artists so it's always been like a dream to to do a record and then to be able to um self-produce it and self-play it as well um yeah it's something that i've wanted to do for a long time um but yeah i guess it's kind of like the the main starting point of um of this record and yeah it's been a great like kind of adventure um and like i'm still quite quite new to to everything really like i haven't been doing it for a long time but um yeah i'm super blessed to just be able to to make music and fiddle around in my studio all day it doesn't feel like you're new to it based Mm. on kind of what i've been listening to and what i can see it seems like I mean, clearly you're experienced in in the songwriting aspect of things, um, so yeah, it feels like it feels like you're quite confident in in that you know what the sound is that you want. You know whether whether yeah. the, sort of the, the the way of getting there is new or what, mm-hmm. but it, it feels confident. Like yeah, you know, like it feels like you know what you're doing. Essentially. Right? Yeah, maybe it. Um, yeah, it feels like I don't know what I'm doing, but maybe yeah, it comes across um slightly different <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah i mean i've been songwriting for for a while but um yeah i feel like i just have i just have so much to give and now i feel like i'm starting to get a lot closer to the sound that i've been chasing for so long um so yeah i can hear that with the the listening through to your sort of first releases as kesma mm-hmm. the the sound is has progressed Mm-hmm. Um, from so the the first single you had uh, up to you is quite mm-hmm. compared to to the new record. Uh-huh. The, there are some songs you've had some singles out from it already, so there's some songs yep. that people can listen to right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'd say that's quite. It, it feels it's got the sort of seventies, f- almost a bit like funk and a little mm-hmm. Motown sort of style to it, but at the same time. It's it's got that little bit more weight behind the kit sound, and mm-hmm. it's a, there's a bit more processing on it. Mm-hmm. And then it seems to have have got more and more refined mm-hmm. as your releases have gone on. Where suddenly this new album is uh, the the word I, the word I was thinking about when I was listening through to it is it just feels honest. Like it it mm. feels like it's just musicians. I mean, you mm-hmm. <laughs> playing <laughs> instruments, and it, there's nothing. It doesn't feel like there's any smoke and mirrors there. It just feels like a really honest representation of what you wanted. And I, yeah. I can hear all the detail really clearly. The mix feels honest. The The writing feels honest. You can mm-hmm. hear everything about it just feels like, oh, I recognize all of mm-hmm. these sounds, but not in this concoction. And I, yeah, it, it feels quite different from from the first release, which mm-hmm. which is 
almost it has elements of that in it but there's definitely a bit more processing there in totally from what i can hear yeah i think the main the main thing kind of came from it was um yeah i was writing like folk music when i was like really young um i don't know like but it was it wasn't like cooler kind of like 60s folk it was like uh, like 2000s kind of folk um, i know i know what you mean yeah exactly um i was there too totally totally um but yeah so like kind of just like a, a backstory is how i got to to where i am now was i was yeah i was doing this folk music and then i got signed to a major label and then i was like no i i, I don't want to like play this ford core thing anymore i want to try some stuff so they're like go write with all these people and um so i kind of did that for a while and then i was just I'd, that first kind of ep that it was just written with so many different people and i was like i don't really know understand like what i want to do or like kind of what i want to be so i think that's kind of the, that's the way it sounds which is quite funny that you say this newer record sounds a lot more honest because i guess it is just me and um like i have kind of yeah refined what i wanted to sound like um but yeah it kind of just just came from then not being on a major label and being able to do the the, the music that I want to make um, and pulling out all of these references that I'd love forever. Um, so yeah, I'm glad to hear that it, that it's, that it's kind of coming across that way. Um, do you feel like when having gone through all of that experience, when you're writing now, you're sort of writing uh, f- I, freer, both freer and almost in spite of of feeling as though you were pressured to to write in a particular way when when you had um almost had people to deliver to whereas now mm-hmm. you only have yourself to deliver to so you you're kind of writing for you so mm-hmm. you you presumably it feels a bit freer but you're almost feeling like well I can do what I want now so you I are you flexing because you can do what you want or <laughs> is it just if the, is that what you you just feel you know you're just sort of happy writing like this I don't mean it sounds like you're flexing, but are you consciously trying to deliberately pull against it? Um, I think so. I think like being on a major label when I was, um, yeah, from like 18 to, um, I don't know, I was like 18 years old to like 22 or 23. It was like, I learned a whole lot in that way. And I think like the best lesson that I learned from it was just to like write the music that you want to make and, that will always shine through like no matter what. And you can always tell when someone's excited about their music, whether it's selling millions of copies or it's, or it's selling nothing. It, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. And I think learning that at such a young age was just like so valuable. Um, Cause it now I get to just do what I want to do. And I think with the way the industry goes, you can still, um, yeah, I guess like make somewhat of a living out of it um, and be, your own A and R, I guess, <laughs> or whatever that <laughs> well, is. Well, that's it. You know, with with Instagram and the way you know, that's how we've we've got in contact with each totally. other. Totally, it's the the whole the world your oyster in a sense. You know, as long as mm-hmm. you've got the um, the mentality to want to do it, because it's a tough slog. But mm. then you know, the that is quite liberating. Being you know, knowing that you can write and mm-hmm. have an audience there. No one's gatekeeping the audience for you. Mm-hmm. You've got direct access to them. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just just a weird world and i guess they say that um the music in, the music industry isn't struggling it's a record industry that's struggling <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it's, a good it, it. it's the labels that are trying to play catch up now um but yeah it's just just such a valuable lesson and now i just i have just so much freedom um 
and yeah, just learning the ins and outs is yeah. Is, at the time, I hated it, but now I'm I'm really thankful because yeah, it is a lot of it, it. At the same time, as like having having it as a business and um, yeah, understanding who is gonna try steal your money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know so many people from my time in bands mm-hmm. you know I sort of just do the the drum side of it now but we you know we toured with so many different artists who got signed to major labels mm-hmm. or got you know did and for a very split second it was enormously exciting yeah. for them and then we've seen of say there was 20 that we knew yeah two of them are now yeah. names that people know of and the re- the other 18 are just have, have gone do you know what this is ridiculous yeah. i don't want to be part of this anymore and that's the end yeah it's, I think, it's so sad to see people's careers ruined like man that. it's just like the sad truth and it's like i could tell you so many bands as well from here that great bands that didn't really have many internal issues it was just like they had a you know a hundred thousand dollar debt or something the label one day were like you have to pay back now or, you know so it's just, you know, and the label's going to be fine. They've got other acts, but for the artists, they're just left, you know, with nothing. So I think, um, and, and so many of the time, like I've, I've gone through it and I've had buddies go through it and like I have friends going through it now of trying to get out of, um, out of contracts and everything. And they're, they're still held in there. And, you know, then at the end of the day, they don't want to go make music because they don't know if it's going to come out and everything. So it, it can be like such a crippling thing um so yeah you've seemed to have flipped it into a quite positive thing Uh, you know it is is quite a it is quite a negative side of the industry but Mm -hmm. if you you can either you can either just disappear into yourself and and Mm -hmm. feel aggrieved about it or you can just go do you know what this is the situation and i'm just going to do what i want anyway and and work you know work my way you know this is the game at Mm -hmm. the end of the day and and i'm going to play the game but i'm going to play it by my rules and that seems to be what you've done and that's i think that's a cool mentality to have yeah yeah you're exactly right um i'd love to just dive down into sort of the nitty-gritty of the the approach that you did into into the record so is it is it you playing everything on it yeah i had my friend patty play drums on like three tracks um just because i'm not not really a drummer at all but yeah if a part got too hard um, my friend Paddy would get a call. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the rest, yeah, the rest was just me um, here in my little home studio. I've said it before. I love, I one of as a, as a drummer, mm-hmm. one of the things I love most is having tracks sent to me where the writer is playing on it. I think yeah, whether you think you know, you know, whether you, they think they're a drummer or not, uh-huh. hearing exactly what it is that you want translated into a drum set whether the sounds are right yeah. or whatever it doesn't matter it's just the feel and the yeah your approach to playing the kit suddenly as a drummer watching that it's mm-hmm. like oh wow yeah that's what you wanted and i immediately get it totally i think that just comes from the childlike mindset of writing music that is that i think is one of the most important parts and like i've been i drums was kind of like the thing that i learned most recently like only a couple of years ago um but yeah, for like, for so long, I'd just kind of just be like obsessed with it and still obsessed with it, obviously. But I, when I first started, I was, it was like then starting to come into the songwriting of like just having having a beat and then being able to write, write over that. But I think, yeah, the childlike mindset is just like so important because, you know, when you've been playing an instrument for so long, you sit at it and a lot of the time it can not be inspiring because you've done the same fill a million times or you played the same chords a million times. <laughs> so to see someone that is approaching it from a place of, um, I guess not understanding a whole lot about it can actually be really exciting. Um, 
So yeah, I lo- I love it for that. Did you? I, I read in an interview that you did that, about your writing starting often with um with piano and mm-hmm. also with a with a drum sound. So when mm-hmm. you know when you've kind of got a germ of an idea or mm-hmm. you're starting to work on an idea, are you taking inspiration from? sort of a, a feel from a track that you know maybe mm-hmm. you're listening to a to a another artist and you think i want to write a, a song that's in this vein so then you start off with a, a drum sound and and or how, how does it all work for you um yeah usually it just comes from yeah i don't i think um when i guess you want to make a sound that is so kind of like specific to a um to a time it's like i think one of the most important things is just kind of knowing that music at the same time and like listening to it and knowing like the ins of it, ins and outs of it so that when you go time to make it you can hopefully get close to to what you're trying to achieve so i think the first thing is just like listening to a whole lot of music and then that subconsciously kind of seeps its way into the chords i play and but to put it in um in like a method um for this record and for like the way I right now I've, I've written for a while is like, I'll write the whole song um, on piano usually because I learned guitar when I was younger. And now when I get on guitar, I, I know all the chords that I'm playing. So I don't, <laughs> I'm not exactly inspired with it, but where piano is only like a couple of years of playing. So it's like, I'm kind of, I kind of know what I'm doing, but at the same time, I really have no idea. So it's like a whole lot more exciting. So yeah, for this record, it was just pretty much 90% just written on the piano. Um, just front to back um and i just smash it out i used to like all my demos would be like i'd like loop a drum drum beat and then i do a verse and a chorus and then i just like copy paste it <laughs> paste it over yeah. um and then i come to write the second verse and it'd take like two weeks to write a verse so i think <laughs> if quickly i learned that i needed to have that other side of me that was just pushing me to to finish it front to back um because otherwise it just takes so long to get back into the mindset of the original idea. But yeah, usually it will come from a groove and that will kind of, um, yeah, it will kind of like help me um, figure out how, like what tempo I'm going to play the song in. And then I'll write it, write all the lyrics, and then I'll just play the kit um, just straight to the tape, just play the whole song in my head and then do, then usually do the piano, then the bass, and then a guitar, and then do like a vocal with like one harmony. And that's usually like eight tracks on, on tape. And then I'll kind of leave it. And then like maybe a week after I'll come back and listen to it. And like very quickly, I'll be able to tell if it's going to be a good idea or not. If I can't get it to sound good on the basics on eight tracks of tape, then I'm I'm not, <laughs> I'm not touching it. So I think the initial think idea has really to be shows- strong. Yeah, I mean that shows on the record so much. That is one of the the points that I kind of mentally made when I was listening to it. That the the way, you know, going back to that word honest, you know, the way mm-hmm. that the way it is with the the instrumentation and the sounds that you've got going on, it it's not. There's no choice mm-hmm. but for the playing to be great, the parts to be mm-hmm. great, everything, the songwriting to be great. It all has to be great because there's nothing. There's no hiding behind. Mm-hmm any any gimmicks it's just you know that that's all you've got now (laughs) yeah yeah, it's really interesting to hear that you that that's that's the way you think about it yeah i think because i grew up um in a digital age um i think and like i was yeah i just feel like i am 
also kind of I do feel like I'm late to the game um because yeah for so long I was just like recording on like you know logic or whatever um so I think I just spent so so many years kind of just like just beating my head against the wall of you know just songwriting in general and production and um not being like truly satisfied with it and happy but I think it was the end of the day it was just like came down to the to the songs and that was something that I just learned like super quickly and then I kind of delivered a method that I could kind of um because I mean doing it by yourself it can just be so hard to look back on something and know when it's done or like know if it's even good or not so I think um I kind of had that method and it kind of just stuck and work and it was just like if I can't get it to sound good on eight tracks um you know with the whole song written um then it's I'm not touching it. I'll just move on <laughs> so are you writing pretty much exclusively to an eight track machine um well I've got a 16 track a Tascam um one that is that I'm just that I literally just limited. I only plugged in eight tracks. <laughs> so ah, I, I wondered if that was is that your studio? So I saw the the you had a drum session last week, I think, yeah. and I saw saw the video. So is that that's your studio space with your sixteen track? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got a Tascam MSR sixteen, which is like a half inch. Um, hmm. But yeah, I've been demoing on. Oh, I demo on that just because it's just like such a workhorse. I don't think it sounds sounds amazing or anything. But yeah, I only plugged in like eight tracks because I was like. If I'm writing, because I've already started writing this next record and I was like writing this next record, I'm not <laughs> even plugging in the other eight tracks because I know I'll use them. So <laughs> I'm just um, limiting myself. But for this record, Always Chasing Rainbows, that is coming out, I bought um, an Atari um, MX70 16-track one-inch and it like broke the first day I got it, <laughs> it just, <laughs> which was I kind of had like this idea I'm like yeah because I've had this uh, half inch for so long and I was like all right I'm gonna spend the money and get like a great like one inch Atari like with the remote and everything and it's gonna be like amazing and I just got it and it's just it's still getting repaired <laughs> yeah the I reality think, of tape ownership that, yeah <laughs> yeah that's totally the reality um but yeah, so I so I still demo on the on the MS sixteen, but yeah, I only just plug eight tracks in just as like a proper limitation, just because I think just the solo writing and producing thing, you need that thing like a tape machine to limit you a lot of the time because you'll just and yeah, you'll just go forever. And I think that's why I went to tape. Um anyway, was obviously for the sound, but for most of it honestly for the method of having it's almost like a second person there being like you have to commit to this and you know you're unlimited to this like you can't just go forever at being brought up in an age where you can have like a thousand tracks in in a door or something so um yeah i almost just see it as a second person there just just punching me down all the time and <laughs> helping me <laughs> i think it's it's interesting as well the the idea of making demos in a door there often feels a bit of pressure to to make them sound quite clean i think i don't think it's a, yeah. a pressure that is no you know no one's said it mm -hmm. but when you're doing it you kind of you, you put in a mic up or mm -hmm. you, you plug in direct into you know into your interface or whatever if you know if you're putting down uh bass mm -hmm. or you, you know mm -hmm. using an amp sim on logic if you're yeah. just demoing in the in the moment suddenly it comes out sounding a bit clinical and a bit it's very difficult to to have any vibe totally on, on it when it's that way and or the tape machines 
you know, in, just ingrained in the process mm-hmm. and the sound. You know, they, mm. they sound a bit, a little bit grubby. So suddenly it's, it yeah. papers over a little bit of those those imperfections and lets you focus straight on, well, is the song any good and is the part any good? And rather than worrying about all of, I don't know, like over clinical mm-hmm. details that, that come off if if you're just doing it digitally. So yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's an interesting way. Well, it's a, I can see why, why you would go the route you've gone essentially. Yeah. I think it's just like, um, I don't know, a demo for, for like the music that I like to make and that we, I guess we all love listening to this podcast is like, if you listen to any of those demos from like the early seventies of like John Lennon or like anything from the sixties is like, they, you know, they're obviously not at a computer compiling like all these tracks as most of the time it's like the raw, the rawest thing that, that comes out really. And at the end, it's like, that's the most beautiful a lot of the time. And that's why, I mean, I love listening to demos, like old demos. It's like one of my favorite things. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like a demo should just be, should just be what it is. And it's like, you know, you, you still want to try to get a good recording, but at the end of the day, you, you want the song to shine through. And then later when you're doing the official recording or whatever, that's even if you get to it, sometimes the demo is just great. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's just, just a whole lot of fun. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I hear the, I have this conversation with like a lot of people all the time of like my age being 25. It's like everyone was brought up in a digital age and now everyone wants a tape recorder. And, but then they'll like call each other or call me and be like, but how do I plug it in? And I'm like, you can work a, <laughs> a door with a thousand tracks and all these plugins and like, you know, downloading software and everything, but you can't like plug in, you know, <laughs> four RCAs <laughs> or something into an input and output. It's just like, it's crazy. But, at the same time, yeah, like all my friends are just like just tripping out on it because it's so much fun. That's, I mean, getting really specific. That is one of the major differences: is it's RCA connections, not Jack connections. And like as yeah. a as a kid, that the only time you ever saw connections like that was on your like your console or yeah, yeah. in the back of your TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the only time I've ever seen them. Yeah, and then I bought a tape machine. It's like, oh shit, right? It's, yeah. all, it's all RCA connections. Right? Wow. Okay. Totally. Um. <laughs> But yeah, it's just just coming from from a different a different time, and I think obviously a lot of it comes from the love of all the music produced then. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it's just a workflow that just feels so kind of alien, like when you first get into it. Um, but then it just becomes natural, and yeah. So how did you approach the the so in terms of sort of like guitar sounds or mm-hmm. drum sounds, you, did you have a, a conscious approach to sort of say minimal miking on the kit or a specific way of miking mm-hmm. up guitars or how did you approach kind of the, the sort of engineering and production side of things? Um, with no idea really. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, no, nah, I mean, I just, I just like try something and then I'd go to bed and read like sound on sound interviews for until like early in the morning. Um, so, yeah, I always knew that I wanted to limit my track space and, um, yeah, I guess just, again, it comes back to the tape machine just kind of enforcing you to mic things with less mics and, um, you know, I think um, with the whole, like, playing thing as well, it's like trying to get everything out of an instrument was just so important for this record. Um, but, yeah, for drums, it was usually just like, yeah, just a dynamic on the kick and the snare and then 
like a mono overhead really um and then maybe some tom mics if i had them as rezo as um if i had the rezo heads off as concert toms um Mm -hmm. but yeah everything was just like super minimal like the bass would just like di and then go to a guitar amp um for the blend and then that was like one Mm -hmm. track um but yeah i do most i did do most of the vocals in um in the door just because they just Mm -hmm. took a bit more time and there was just like a whole lot of kind of harmonies and everything that I didn't really want to be working on a tape flow for that. Um, especially being on like 16 tracks, it'd be different if I had like 24 tracks and an assistant punching me in <laughs> for every, um, <laughs> for every vocal harmony. Um, but yeah, I guess it just comes back to that thing of just like trying to get everything out of like an instrument and a microphone and a preamp. Um, Cause you know, like the, the way that the, um, that the kind of music world is going with like analog gear, it's just like just getting harder and harder to get, get your hands on. So I think it was just like a whole lot of like buying and selling and then just like using what I could use with like the budget that I was on. Um, but yeah, everything was like quite, quite minimal and, um, and I did change studios three times when making this record. So like. Oh right, Each. house moves or how how did that why did that come about? Um, we the first house we were in it was in like a big kind of like shed thing, but then it just like flooded one day, and it's just like, just the worst. There was really really bad floods here in Australia like about a year and a half ago. Um, okay, and kind of everyone's studios and houses you know flooded, um, but not too much got damaged, and then we moved to another place. And then that got knocked down for like these skyscrapers. So now we're in the place that we're in now. Um, but yeah, I guess kind of coming back to your question, um, everything was just trial and error really. And I think coming back to that kind of childlike mindset um, and not trying to let the like engineering brain kind of come in because I never studied engineering or anything. Um, yeah. And then my buddy Tobias, who I was talking about before, I just call him whenever I had, I had an issue. Um, Everybody needs one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I think when the forums don't um, exactly help you out, you need you need like some yogi bear who can just like put it to you straight and solve your problems in like yeah. a six month, you know, time of trying to find the answer to online. How? I mean, I'm just sort of listening to it all. I think what strikes me is how sort of scary this. Ab- this approach that you've got is for you know mm-hmm. having gone through the i mean i was in a similar position to you grew up digital and and um, experimenting in in sort of analog stuff and so you know the, there's not it's quite scary the idea of approaching a whole record mm-hmm. without having got that experience and mm. i i wonder you know have you I'm I'm just sort of like essentially analyzing it like the idea of you going and, and getting involved in the major major label mm-hmm. side of things and then having all of that experience I love the idea that now that you're not chasing this goal that a lot of people mm. don't attain mm. and you've been there and you've been there and done it and realized that the grass isn't greener mm. and that's given you the freedom and possibly the confidence because you know that you know it's not failure isn't not achieving a major label contract it's yeah. you've already done that so there is no failure really anymore you you can only yeah. just have fun and that's such a it's a freeing mentality when you're approaching sort of specifically analog recording and, and something that you don't really know much about and yeah. we've got the internet to, mm-hmm. to answer questions and friends to answer questions mm-hmm. 
there really isn't an excuse. And it's just inspiring to hear you sort of going, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I read loads and I just sort of jumped in feet first and, and yeah. here I am. And I've and you've got a great record to show for it. Yeah, I think that's just like the most important part is just like, I don't know, I love I love learning. And at the same time, like probably everyone who listens to this podcast is like, um, you know, music is their hobby as well. And sometimes it can also be... Um, you know your business and your way of income but it's like at the main source of it it's like my love is music and songwriting but then my hobby isn't um like golf or something it's like having (laughs) it's you know having um having a studio um and like you know staying awake at night figuring out how to plug a patch bay in and everything um maybe that's just like my ocd side coming in and wanting everything to be in its place um but yeah, I don't know. I think it's just like it's, and at the same time, it's like the feeling is fun of plugging stuff in and like trying different mic techniques and everything. I guess that's why I've always had a home studio. It's just I don't want to pay, you know, a lot of money to go into a really expensive studio and not be able to experiment because I'm on a time time um, restraint. Yeah. So yeah, I just and most of the artists that I love all are home home recording um kind of kind of geeks as well so yeah it was just kind of it took a while but then it was just a very obvious road that i wanted to take to be able to be like completely self-sustainable mm-hmm. how uh, did you you mix this record too didn't mm-hmm. you yeah how did you approach the mix side of things did you bounce <laughs> off the tape into the door and mix inside the box or how did that all work um yeah it was a bit of both i guess mm-hmm. it was kind of just like i'd get a new piece of kit and then I'd like run something through there and then I'd get another piece of kit and I'd be like, Oh, I'll, I'll try run it through here. Like I've had this plugin, but now I've got the real thing. I'll try this. So I think, um, again, it was just like experimenting and, um, I guess just like the main part, just using my ears. Cause for so long I was just like looking at a screen at, um, you know, where like a kick drum was coming in on the beat and then like moving that and then I'd move the bass and everything. And, that could also like be translated in a mix of just like listening to it in the whole side of, I guess it's kind of, it's an interesting one when you, I guess like produce and you play it and then you engineer it and then you record it. I think um, you can kind of, I guess like when it comes to mixing, I'm not really think of mixing. I'm kind of just like balancing everything out because I've hopefully tried to eliminate any problems at the source. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of mixing, I had a Tascam um, 48, half, half inch, like kind of grayish one um, that mm-hmm. I stupidly sold. That thing was like amazing. Um, but yeah, I'd usually do all the drums in that. And then if a lot of the time I didn't really want to bounce the drums down to one channel just because I wanted to be able to just have just some more leeway because um, I wanted the record to be kind of like a more like mid 70s kind of slightly sleeker thing. Um mm-hmm. But yes, I do like all the drums on there and then I'd bounce it back and then I'd kind of just build it up and then I'd kind of just go between that machine a lot and then the 16 tracks. It was kind of, it just get bounced around a lot and because I don't have like a large format console, it kind of had to be that way until I got this Yamaha console that I've got now and now I can pretty much do everything. Um, yeah, without without the computer. But I think there was, yeah, there was definitely a time where I just had to kind of go around and I just had to kind of just sit there just bouncing stuff in and bouncing it out um because 
yeah in in it was kind of just like a reality i always like when i got the um mx70 one inch i was kind of like oh, i'm gonna cut this whole record on this tape machine and i got this new console and i was like this is gonna be the sound and then like it just didn't work straight away so it was, <laughs> was kind of just straight back to um to yeah bouncing things around from from the door to the tape um but yeah again it was just just learning and um again i'd kind of just limit myself inside of my door in terms of like i'd use just like one reverb on everything or like i'd mm -hmm. use like just my spring reverb and my space echo or something um so yeah i and, and that just came from just like learning of how they used to mix records they'd have like a couple of 1176s and blah 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 they didn't they couldn't go crazy so i just i tried to keep that mindset um yeah in my head the whole time So there we go, part one of my conversation with Nathan Hawes, aka Kesmar. As I say, that record is out tomorrow. You've just heard two tracks from it in the opening and the uh, the outro of that. So yeah, go and check that out. And um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Kesmar is spelled K-E-S-M-A-R, in case you weren't sure. You will have seen it written on the uh, title of the podcast, but just saying it to cover all bases, all right? I just want to be efficient. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for listening. That just leaves me to say... Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Joe Montague Drums or at All You Need Is Drums. You can check out the Beatles things I do on at uh, on la la la, All You Need Is Drums .com. A huge thank you to Adam Maddett for designing the artwork for the podcast and to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music. And a huge thank you to you for listening. And I will be back next week with more from Nathan Hawes. Goodbye. <laughs>